Hello and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. Today on the program, Director of ETFs Andre Bruno shares his insights on the capital market playbook for the second half of 2023. Andre speaks about the inflation story and how it may change, and he also points out the different indicators he's looking at that may potentially move the markets. He says inflation is heading in the right direction, with Canadian consumers much more sensitive to interest rate hikes than their U.S. counterparts. He believes the Bank of Canada is more hawkish and says we won't see the interest rate going down anytime soon, maybe sometime in 2024. In terms of market factors, he's keeping an eye on import-export data, employment numbers and GDP. The main goal is to get that number to 2% or below, but banks do not want to push the economy into a hard landing scenario. Andre also discusses the inverted yield curve, the state of the equity market, and if people are taking on more risk at this point in time. This podcast was recorded on July 31st, 2023. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada, ULC, or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. So it might be summer, but it certainly isn't slow when it comes to the economy and uh, and investing. Um, we had uh, the Fed increased their rates to about 5.5%. That comes after um, uh, you know Canada's rate is now at 5%. So let's let's start there with just with inflation and rate hikes. Inflation also in the U.S. as as I said was three percent in Canada two point eight. It's coming down. Where are we at today with 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 all of this? Yeah, so inflation is certainly heading in the right direction. Obviously, we had you know high high single digit inflation uh, a lot of last year. So uh, I think a lot of folks are, are breathing a bit of a sigh of relief, including central bankers that were heading back towards that two percent target. Whether you're talking about the BOC or the Fed. Um, you know, both both central banks have indicated there's still some work to be done from the inflation story. Um, you know, certainly uh, the headline numbers that you, that you just quoted there are are looking positive, 3% in the U.S., a little bit lower in Canada. Uh, if you take a look at the core numbers, they are a little bit hotter um, than those uh, those headline numbers. As we know, core does strip out some of the more volatile components of the CPI. Um, so again, still some work to be done on the inflation front. Both central banks are cognizant of this. You know, the Bank of Canada, I'd say, was a little bit more hawkish than perhaps most people were expecting at their last meeting. Uh, again, still indicating that inflation is running a little bit hotter, um, and they think they're, they're going to get to that target a little bit later than they had initially anticipated, um, citing, you know, still a hot housing market uh, that they believe is going to continue and, and place upward pressure on uh, inflation on a go-forward basis. So, you know, all around, um, you know, just kind of high level we are trending in the right direction there's still some work to be done there's still uh, the door is still open for some potential further rate hikes from both the boc and the fed later this year um, i will say markets aren't pricing in a super high probability for either of those events happening um, but uh, markets aren't uh, aren't always 100 percent correct so uh, do keep an eye out for that we could still get a couple more hikes out of the the fed and the boc respectively so going forward what would you be watching to indicate um 
you know, there might be more rate hikes ahead or maybe even rate cuts. What, what are you sort of watching when in terms of the economic indicators to help you think about what could happen next? Yeah, I certainly think there's still, um, again, as I mentioned, there's still some, some slack on the, the, the CPI story. So, um, you know, given how long inflation has persisted, I think, you know, the main focus and, and you know, uh, of course, inflation is a main mandate for both these central banks. Um, but they do certainly want to get that number to 2% or below. Uh, obviously, both central bankers are, are cognizant of the fact that, you know, they don't want to they don't want to push, you know, the economies into a hard landing scenario. Um, so, you know, I think they're going to be careful to try to stick handle that. And I, I think they've been trying to do that all year, at least since the rate hike circle has been started on both sides of the border here. Um, but, you know, for me, obviously, Keeping an eye on on those inflation numbers, PPI numbers, which are produ producer price index numbers, which is kind of um, you know uh, just just that it's inflation for producers. So what are what are people paying for inputs? That's obviously kind of a um, you know an upstream number of CPI. So obviously keeping a close close eye on that. Import export prices um, is another uh, another couple data points that I keep an eye on. That that again is is kind of um, upstream from the CPI print. So those are things I'm keeping an eye on from the, from an inflation perspective. Um, you know, taking a little bit step back and just talking a little bit more generally. Obviously, uh, employment is an important important number that I'm keeping an eye on. It is a lagging indicator for for overall economic activity. We have been starting to see some some cracks from that perspective. Uh, so keeping a close eye on that on a go forward basis as well. You know, ultimately, folks. You know, you know. Canada and the U.S. as developed economies were primarily a consumption-based economy. So if you think back to your Econ 101 equation of GDP, you know, that C figure, the consumption figure, is the bulk of, of where we get our GDP growth from. So again, as, if folks are getting laid off, that's obviously going to trickle down into people's consumption habits, uh, which again is going to trickle down into the, the GDP numbers. I think two things that I saw from the uh, Canadian inflation numbers, at least, where food inflation is still high, 9.1%, excuse me. And then there was also, uh, you know, mortgage interest charges, not surprisingly, were up about 30%, putting pressure on Canadians. Maybe talk a bit about those two. How um, concerning is it that food is still much higher than, uh, than, the, than the overall inflation numbers? Well, as we know, and, and as most folks on the line can attest to, you know, food costs is, is a large chunk of our kind of disposable income. Um, so that kind of hits, you know, every single Canadian all the way up from, you know, the working working class all the way up to, to you know, the higher class of folks. You know, everyone feels it hit their wallet. And again, that's going to hit discretionary spending. Food prices remain high, as well as you, you mentioned interest costs there as well. Obviously, that that is a, you know, that factors into overall housing costs. As we know, housing costs is, you know, super large for a lot of Canadians. You know, the old rule was, you know, try to make a 30 percent of your income. Um, I think for a lot of Canadians, it's well past that, given where uh, housing valuation is, given where rents are in this country. So, um, again, on the one side, you have that interest expense, which is really hitting people on the housing cost side. And you've got the food cost that's hitting folks on the other side. And that's a good chunk of, of, of folks' uh, uh, expenditures on a month-to-month -month basis. So, again, that, that you are starting to see that filter in the consumption numbers as well. If you take a look, if you break down uh, kind of retail sales and you break it out, the service component versus the goods component. You know, the, the goods component has been uh, a little bit tepid over the last six months to a year. I think over the last six months or so, you've, you've had about three negative prints on the on the goods retail sales. So folks are already starting to feel it, and, and, and you're already seeing it being reflected in their in their good con goods consumption habits. 
Um, you know, that takes us to maybe another big news of last week was GDP numbers in Canada. May was at 0.3%. Year over year, May was about 1.9%. But there was this June flash reading that uh, Stats Canada has looked saying that uh, the economy is actually contracted by 0.2% in June, which I think for Q2 is about 1% uh, growth. That does seem to be slowing. What do you make of that? Yeah, and again, I, 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 think, I think it comes down to consumption as well. I think rising debt costs for a lot of folks is, is certainly hitting their wallet coupled with, with, with inflation. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not terribly surprised that we're getting into cool down. Again, you know, the yield curve has been predicting a recession for quite some time, whether you're looking at Canada or the U.S., uh, so the numbers aren't terribly surprising. I, I guess the, the the bigger question is is you know is this just a temporary slowdown for Q2? Are we going to you know return back to you know maybe not super strong growth but still remain positive? Or you know is this signs that down the line we're potentially heading into negative territory and potentially getting into that recessionary environment? When you when you when you're looking into the numbers and and sort of the data points, do you notice a slowing? I mean it sort of feels like things just just sort of in you know my own life, that work life, things may be slowing a little bit. You know, it, it sort of feels like maybe things are slowing down. Do you notice that as well? That maybe the rate hikes are starting to work. Yeah, I mean, certainly if you take a look at uh, ISM numbers, uh, which manufacturing numbers, they're certainly uh, not super super positive. Uh, I'm, I'm talking on on U.S. figures here specifically, although Canada figures are similar as well. Uh, so there are certainly some cracks in the economic data. You are you are seeing some. Um, some warning signals there as well. Um, if you take a look at the the employment numbers um, in the United States, um, you know, very interesting chart to take a look at. Uh, if you look at job openings, uh, they have been trending lower. That's typically the first thing you you, you kind of see from an in, from uh, an employment situation when when things start to deteriorate from the employment front. That's kind of the first shoe to drop. And then you know, conceptually, it makes sense. You know, if you're a corporation, the first thing you do is you put a hiring freeze on. You know, the next thing you do is you perhaps stop re-upping on, you know, contract or temporary workers. And in fact, we've seen those numbers dip lower as well. What that typically translates into is you you, you start to see a, an uptick in initial jobless claims, which in fact is what we have been seeing in the United States. So there certain are a little bit of cracks there in the employment market. Unemployment rates are still super low in the United States. Um, our last the last uh, employment figure in the Canada we did tick up very mild, mildly on on uh, unemployment I believe 0.1 percent um, so nothing super concerning just yet but certainly a couple data points to keep an eye on uh, as we move forward here in the back half of 2023. There's a the question from an advisor came in how long does it take for a rate hike to impact inflation and the BOC? Um, that we everyone keeps talking about it takes time you know for these rate hikes to factor into the economy. Um, how long does it take, and and is is that what we're seeing now? It's finally taking effect. Yeah, so that's a good question. Um, you know, if you go to the academic literature, uh, it mostly says you know it takes anywhere between six to eighteen months for rate hikes to filter in. There's no strong and hard number. Obviously, the economy has you know a multitude of variables, and and you know depending on what regime we're in, that you know rate hikes can come in quicker or slower depending on. Uh, depending on a multitude of factors. But um, yeah, I think it's a good point. I think you are starting to see, you know, rate hikes filter in uh, to the economy. Again, you know, the Canadian consumer, and I've, I've said this before on the on, uh, on Fidelity Connects with you, is, 
you know, the Canadian consumer is a lot more sensitive to those interest rate hikes relative to, to the U.S. counterparts, both because, you know, our, our personal debt levels are, are much higher than, than the American consumer, and also as a function of just how our, our mortgage market is currently structured with about 50% of folks having variable rate mortgages. You know, the term, the five-year term that people can fix at in Canada is also a factor. Obviously, we know in the United States, you can't term out to 30 years. Um, so again, Canadians are a lot more sensitive to those interest rate hikes, and and I think uh, I think you're starting to see that. Although you're not starting, you're not seeing it in the housing market just yet. I know we did get a bit of a slowdown, but we're certainly resuming kind of the upward path on on housing valuations here in Canada. Yeah, and there's still a lot of rate hikes to work themselves through the economy. Um, we've had a lot this year, so there's still more more to go there. Well, well, that's just it, and especially with housing too. As as some of those fixed rate terms roll off, and people have to. Uh, refinance their mortgages, you'll you'll start to see more pressures on consumers as that happens as well. And I just wonder also just the fact that you know we are the the numbers that are coming out now are being compared to kind of peak inflation numbers that we had last year. June, July, August were the highest um, you know out of the last several months. So is there something there also just the fact that we are, you know, the the year over year number was was so high last year. Could it have been this high this year um, because it was so high last year? How does how does sort of the annual numbers kind of maybe impact where inflation goes? Yeah, so so what you're describing is what uh, economists would call the base effect. Um, so again, when you're coming off a higher base, you know, your rate of change is is naturally going to go down. Um, so so there is there is there is a bit of that, of course. You know, what you need to appreciate is even if we get to 0% inflation, it still means our prices are, are elevated rather uh, um, in reference to, you know, say 2020. Uh, so that's something that people have to understand. Even if we get to 0%, we're still remaining at these high elevated levels. We're still going to feel it in our pocketbooks every time we go into the store to buy our goods and services here. So, uh, yeah, there's certainly a bit of that that's, that that's evolved. Obviously, you go back a year, prices were still high. Prices are high today. You know, that rate of change is going to go down. You know, if you think about 2021 versus 2020, 2020 we had no inflation. 2021 we had much higher prices. Obviously, that the, the magnitude of change is going to be much, much higher there. Um, so again, I, I I don't know if we're um, you know again we're we're still trending towards that two percent target. Hopefully, uh, we get there sometime in in uh, 2024. Um, and I think the BOC has made reference to to getting to that target by sometime in 2024 as well. Is there any um... I don't know if it's a risk potential. I'm sure. I'm sure consumers would like to see this, but any deflation in in coming up if we're going back, kind of previous prices, or is this kind of the baseline here? Um, I mean, the Bank of Canada wants that two percent, but is there any risk of of a deflationary environment? It's certainly possible. Uh, you know, it's certainly a lot of companies uh, have built up some inventory. Obviously, during COVID, you know, there was a lot of talk about supply chain disruptions, not a lot of inventory. Certainly, anyone who's trying to buy a new car or even a used car. Um, you know, late in the pandemic there uh, can attest to the fact that there, there was just no supply. That's just an anecdotal example in the auto market. Um, but I think you're going to, you, 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 you do have a bit of a buildup in inventories with companies. So if you get that scenario where we do actually get into a recession, um, you know, soft landing scenario, perhaps that might not be enough hit to a demand to get us into a deflationary environment, you know, but certainly in Canada, we do have a larger risk for that hard landing scenario. So, you know, with the buildup in inventories and a hard landing scenario with an increase in unemployment, it's very possible we could see uh, a small deflationary period. Um, okay, let's move on to earnings. Uh, tech companies have reported earnings, other companies are reporting this week. Um, what have you seen so far from, uh, from earnings reports? 
the earnings so far have been uh, fairly decent. I believe about 50% of the S&P 500 companies have already uh, posted earnings. I believe around 83%, uh, give or take, have beaten those expectations. So, you know, on the face, it looks like a positive development. What folks need to appreciate as well is that we've been having downward revisions to earnings all year. So, you know, while we've beaten expectations, you know, those, those expectations have come down all year. We continue to see uh, lower revisions on those earnings as well. Uh, from a return perspective, it hasn't been a terrible year for equities. Um, things have been looking good. Obviously, information technology has been kind of a leading sector when you think about uh, uh, equity market returns this year. Um, consumer discretionary has also actually done decently well, um, you know, something I probably wouldn't have expected. But um, if we think about last year, consumer discretionary did have a really tough time. So, you know, could just be a, a bit of a valuation play on there. Um, when you do take a look at valuations, uh, you know, equities certainly aren't cheap by historical standards, uh, especially when you think about a price to earnings multiple. Uh, they're certainly not super expensive, um, but uh, probably just a little bit of elevated over, um, you know, over historical averages. So, you know, at some point, earnings are going to have to catch up to those valuations. Um, you know, if not, there could be a bit of a headwind for equities. So, I mean, yeah, S&P 500 has been up 20% um, year to date, which I think is surprising to, you know, many people who who have been watching the economy. And uh, I guess, number one, what do, you, what do you make for that, for that good performance? And and what is the risk to the equity markets going forward? Yeah, I, again, I think I think the recession is the biggest risk for, for equity markets moving forward. Um, again, as I mentioned, we have had some multiple expansions. So as we know, with multiple expansions, earnings do have to catch up at some point. So again, if we get into that recessionary environment, it's going to be very challenging for, for corporations for, for their earnings to catch up with their multiples. So uh, I think the biggest bo bogey for equities on a go-forward basis on is, is whether or not we go into a recession and whether or not we do get hard landing versus a soft landing scenario. Just on, on where money's going in the equity markets, are you finding that, and given how well the S&P's done, um, are people taking a little more risk now, or are they still sticking to more conservative and defensive investments? Yeah, we've certainly, June, there was certainly an uptick on, on people allocating to equity risk. I'd say for the first kind of five months of the year, we didn't see a ton of that. Uh, so a little bit of a, a little bit, uh, a little bit more of a risk appetite in June. Um, you know, it, it, probably a reflection of perhaps folks just getting a little bit more comfortable that maybe we're going to, we're just, worst case scenario, we're going to get a soft landing uh, environment. Um, again, the, the breadth, breadth of returns did improve in, in June as well. Again, the first five months of the year, it was you know, tech leading the way. So we have, we have seen a better breadth in returns in June, which is uh, you know, positive uh, for equity markets for sure. Um, but again, it, it, it's still, there's still a lot of uncertainty around there, specifically around the, the, the macroeconomic headwinds. So um, you know, while people are dipping into equity risk a little bit more, uh, I still think there is some, some concerns out there in the market. A question just came in that is interesting, uh, so I'll pose this to you. Um, do you believe the resumption of student loan payments in the U.S. will impact consumer purchasing power and ultimately inflation? I do for sure think it's going to have an impact. Um, I, I can't quantify that impact. I haven't run the numbers. I'm sure there's yeah. people smarter than me who have run the numbers, but I would have to think there's, I, I don't know the number, but there's a, there's a ton of folks in the United States that have student loans. I think the student loan market is well north of a trillion dollars. Um, so obviously, people having to dip into those payments again is certainly going you know, to affect their ability to consume. Um, so that would contribute to to you know a deflationary environment for prices. I'm sorry, 
I say deflationary, but I mean, you know, inflation coming in, that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be able to push it into negative territory. I don't think it's going to be able to have the effect to get us into a deflationary environment, but it should help the overall uh, inflation story for sure. Um, okay, so fixed income, talk about equities, fixed income. Now, the yield curve is still inverted. Can you just explain, just so everybody knows, what exactly does that mean and what does that tell you? Yeah, so typically what we call a normal yield curve is, uh, you know, an upward sloping curve. So, you know, chart goes up and to the right, as we said. Um, so right now we're, we're seeing the opposite of that. It's going down and to the right. Um, and that's what we call an inverted yield curve. Now, historically, um, every recession has been preceded by an inverted yield curve. Uh, that being said, there has been times where we have had an inverted yield curve. We haven't got a recession, so it's not a 100% indicator. Uh, the other thing to consider with the yield curve inversion is it tells you that a potential recession is coming, but it doesn't necessarily tell you when it's coming. We've, we've had scenarios where we've had an inverted yield curve for six months and we get a recession. We've had other scenarios where we've had an inverted yield curve for much longer periods and then we get the recession. Uh, so again, it doesn't tell you timing, it just tells you what potentially could come over, over the horizon. Um, and again, when we, say, when we say the yield curve, we're looking at, you know, what does a one-year bond pay? What does a 30-year bond pay? What are the yields? And that's what we're comparing when, we, when we're constructing a yield curve. So again, right now it's inverted. It's still getting a little bit more inverted um, with each subsequent rate hike. You know, all yields are higher on the year, I should say. But the bulk of that has been at the front end of the yield curve. So think shorter date tenors. So think two years and inside folks. Um, so again, with each subsequent hike, we do continue to see that invert a little bit more. That being said, even though yields are higher across the yield curve, uh, fixed income indices are still positive on the year. Um, you know, surprisingly, when you take a look at the credit perspective, given, given the, the potential for macroeconomic headwinds, we have not seen credit spreads widen out material at all. In fact, they're tighter on the year, which is, is kind of interesting. So also another area to keep a close eye on uh, is, is those credit spreads. So uh, typically, uh, I'm a little bit biased because my, my, my uh, history is in fixed income and FX, but uh, fixed income markets are typically uh, ahead of equity markets in terms of uh, if there's any cracks in the economy. So I guess what does that mean for investors when you're looking for opportunities? Um, where are you finding funds going? Is it in shorter term um, fixed income to take advantage of this higher yields or, or longer term? Maybe, yeah, what are you seeing and how does that yield curve affect um, fixed income investing? We, we have been seeing some rotation in a longer duration this year, um, but I'd say a lot of the demand is still on that front end of the yield curve. So shorter duration instruments, uh, whether that's cash products, money market products, or, you know, just just fixed income corporate credits that are inside a five-year tenor. Uh, and again, it, it's, it's simply a reflection of, typically it's lower risk on the short end. Um, you know, when you think about, you know, corporate credits, so we're talking corporate bonds here, folks, you know, you, you've got a lot more visibility on a company's cash flows and default risk over the next five years than say over a 10-year, 15-year uh, time horizon. So folks are trying to remain at the, you know, lower duration, so lower interest rate risk area. We, we still are in a potential, you know, we still are in a rate hike cycle ultimately but you're also just getting tremendous yields, north of 5% yields with little duration risk and with a lot of products, little credit risk as well. So a lot of folks are favoring that front end of the curve. I think it's gonna be really important to keep an eye on that position, especially as we go into Q4 and specifically around Q1. There is gonna be that inflection point where you know, we can see the iceberg coming and, and a recession could potentially happen. And, and there's going to be a time when you're going to want to ro rotate into those longer duration products to provide that uh, downside protection for you in that recessionary environment.
the uh, j- just you know if we are at um, a level where uh, fixed income is we're not sure about rate hikes, but we're getting to this the, that terminal rates. What does that mean for investors? I mean, is now an attractive entry point because rates may not rise, but they could fall again at some point. So you get some of that capital gains going forward. Yes, yeah, certainly. So you know the thing to consider at the front end of the curve, so shorter dated securities uh, or money market securities is. You know, you you do you don't necessarily get the same equal amount of windfall in a recessionary environment. So, if, you know, let's think about a two-year bond, for example. Um, you know, let's just call it a bullet bond, so it has a two-year duration to make the math easy. You know, if you know the the Fed goes from five and a half percent down to zero percent, and let's say the two-year follows and goes all the way down close to zero percent, just in this hypothetical example, you'd be up 11 percent. You know, t- take the other example, take a 30-year bond you know, it has a duration of about 21, you know, if, if you go down, you know, you know, 50, 60 basis points, you're, you're, you're equal to that two-year bond going down to zero. So the magnitude of move on, on the long end of the curve relative to the short end of the curve needs to be a lot, lot less uh, for you to make the same amount of money. And, and again, that's why folks flock to longer dated treasuries in those recessionary environments. As all interest rates fall down, you know, you've, you, you've got that that duration, that positive uh, positive return on duration for you on that long end long end of the curve. The other thing to consider with the short end of the curve as well is you do have that reinvestment risk. So say we do get into a recessionary environment, all rates start to come down, your one-year note, your two-year note start to roll off. Now you've got to reinvest in the lower interest rate environment. So again, that's another reason why folks do flock to more duration in recessionary environments. Um. Okay, that that's great. So um, moving on from fixed income, actually, there's one there's one question before we move on. I'm going to uh, ask you from the advisor. Do you believe the market is optimistic, realistic, or pessimistic about future rate cuts? Uh, right now, I think they're I think they're underpricing the probability of another rate hike, whether it's in Canada or the U.S. So right now, if you look at the probabilities, I think it's around 30 percent ish probability that we're going to get another hike in from the BOC and the Fed. Personally, this is just my view. I think we will get another hike out of the Fed and also potentially out of the BOC as well. Given the hawkish statement that the BOC had at their last meeting, I would be more, you know, if gun to my head, I would I would bet on us getting at least another hike from both central banks on a go-forward basis. Um, moving on to commodities, um, let's talk about oil and gas. Oil prices are up a bit, but, you know, there was a lot of talk about OPEC cutting, and I think there was an expectation maybe it would be higher, but it really hasn't moved a ton over the year. What are you seeing from the oil markets, and how might that be affecting the consumer when it comes to gas prices? Yeah, for sure. So we've certainly seen, you know, oil hasn't had a crazy year in terms of return. It is up, as you said, modestly uh, year to date. Gasoline prices are up uh, a lot more year to date. So, um, you know, the difference between those prices is something we call the crack spread. So the crack spread is just the difference in price between crude oil and, and some of its derivatives, in this case, gasoline. So we've seen crack spreads widen this year with gasoline prices up a lot more than uh, crude oil prices. That's probably why, even though you've been watching the financial news and seeing crude oil prices, you know, be up modestly and wondering, you know, why are gas prices not at a more reasonable level? Because we're certainly off peak oil prices relative to, you know, last year. Um, but it's those gasoline prices that are still filtering into our into our pocketbooks every time we fill up our cars. Um, so again, you know, crude oil, obviously the demand is not just cars and gasoline. Obviously there's tons of manufacturing, petrochemicals, 
Uh, a lot of demand does come from China, and they've had they've had a pretty quiet year from an economic perspective. Uh, certainly, they're trying to re restart things over there in China, but um, you know they are you know their economic growth is contingent upon the rest of the world, as we know. China's China's an export economy, so if the rest of the world is slowing down, or demand from the rest of the world is slowing. That's ultimately going to filter into Chinese uh, GDP numbers as well. Uh, what other commodities are you, do you pay attention to, and anything that uh, could be interesting for our audience and speaking to you know the state of the global economy? Yeah, certainly base metals is important. Uh, you know, generally from a from a global manufacturing perspective, obviously base metals are entirely important. Um, you know, it, been a bit mixed there in terms of uh, in terms of returns year to date on base metals. Uh, probably more of a function of, of again Chinese economic activity. Uh, but nothing there exactly screaming recession or screaming uh, growth. Um, so going to keep an eye on that on a go-forward basis as well. When you take a look at agriculture, uh, most agriculture products down year-to-date on a price perspective, which is obviously great for the inflation story. Notable exceptions are uh, wheat prices are up on the year uh, and live cattle prices are up on the year, as I'm sure many folks have noticed this year during barbecue season going going to Costco or Metro or Sobers or what have you and noticing that beef prices are absolutely astronomical right now. So I think we'd all uh, very much uh, prefer those prices to come down, but uh, we're getting pretty close to the end of summer here. So, uh, you know, demand for beef typically uh, dips a little bit after the summer barbecue season. So uh, ideally we'll see some prices come in on the live cattle front uh, in the back half of the year. Fingers yes. crossed. It's perhaps I'm being optimistic, not realistic, but... <laughs> Deflation before my next barbecue on the weekend, please, uh, around steak prices. Um, so j just quickly, uh, just a couple of minutes left, but just on China's um, reopening, it does seem to have gone slower than people expect. I think a lot of people thought maybe that would spur the economy, but um, why has it gone a bit slower and uh, what, what has the impact been from that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a, it's probably a reflection of some tepid global demand as well. Um, again, we're, we're still in positive territory, mostly across the globe here, um, but certainly demand is slowing a little bit, again, reflected in, in Canada's GDP numbers, although U.S. GDP numbers are still, you know, fairly decent from that perspective. Um, so again, yeah, it'll, it, it'll be, again, it'll be interesting to see the China story in the back half of the year. Uh, like we said, they, they did have a slow start. They are trying to get things going back over there. Uh, but like I mentioned, it, it is very much contingent on the global economy and global demand for for uh, for manufacturing products. So uh, it'll be interesting to see going the year end. I think again, if we do get into a global recessionary environment, uh, that typically doesn't portend to too much positive growth for China. I'm, I mean, again, I'm sure they'll still post positive growth, but not positive growth numbers that you know the PBOC would like to see or the, or the government in China would like to see. So just last minute, um, you know, it's been an interesting summer. I think it will continue to be interesting. Just what, what would be your kind of overall fi final thoughts and maybe what you're looking for and where things might go from here? Yeah, I, I think it's I think investors just need to be cautious in the back half of the year. Um, you know, keep a close eye on, on earnings is always going to be important. We're obviously half, about halfway through earnings season right now. It'll be important to see how, how we do uh, end up from that perspective. Keep a close eye on earnings revisions. That'll be very important. Uh, on a go-forward basis as well. Um, credit spreads, very important to keep an eye on. Like I said, you know, when you do start to see cracks, typically uh, credit spreads start to move pretty early. Um, so again, I think the take-home message here is just keep a close eye on the incoming data. You know, it, if we do start to see cracks, um, don't be shy to, to start to be position yourself a little bit more defensively in your portfolio. Take a look at you know, downside capture is going to be a good focus if we do go into a recessionary environment. Take a look at your fixed income book and add defensively there where applicable as well. 
Okay, great. I will leave it there. Until next time, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. Fidelity Mutual Funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash howtobuy for more information. While visiting fidelity.ca, you can also find information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again. See you next time.